You're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. To Shift Happens, the Empower Hour with Jeff and Anna. And, and we have on the phone another good friend of ours. Are you still there? I'm still here. Earth Asada. <laughs> Earth Asada. So today. Yeah, wonder. Sorry, today, today we're interviewing Sada Kanakan. Kanakan? Kanakan. Sada is a, a local. You grew up in the Kootenai area, right? I did grow up in the Kootenai area. And you've gone off to... You You haven't lived an exact, exactly conventional life. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't. Well, you're from the <laughs> Kootenai, so it's not exactly a conventional kind of place, is it? Well, that's right. It's not unconventional for the Kootenais. Mm-hmm. There you go. So Sada has just graduated from Ontogany in Vancouver, and we thought it would be fun to talk to her about why she chose a, such an unusual life path. And first off, what is Ontogony? I guess that's really the place to start with. Well, Ontogony is actually a word that was created by the founder, Carlos de Leon. The exact meaning at the moment, I actually can't tell you. <laughs> um, but, but it relates to... To, you know, being in your physiology and transcending your own limitations. So that's pretty much a really good basic description of the course that we had taken. It's called Body-Mind Therapy, and it's a three-year course with a lot of layers to it. So you said that you did a, a spoken word piece around the reasons why you started this path in the first place. Do you want to give us a little bit of that sure i'll give you so the piece is is called halls of masterpiece i've come to the painful place of recognizing that i'm not living my fullest oh i have so many reasons and the tales that frame these reasons are beautiful elaborate and can be heart-wrenching I view these tales as great works created by masters in the ultimate gallery of my life. As a collector, I've begun to categorize them. The images in the halls, they are the general, functional, creative, and the renaissance which stands bare. Walking from one hall to the other, I realize there is one which has not been named, one I wish not to enter. Many of the images are sad and a few create disdain. Others are revolting and some shockingly horrific. All make me hang my head low for so many different reasons. All bring me to tears. Now that I have placed them in one room, I'm overwhelmed. 
it seemed such a good idea at the time. Now cobwebs hang over the entrance, and it obviously was not. As constructivism wished to separate itself from the past, so too have I walked that journey. Yet as a collector, I cannot discard a great work. I walk back and forth, passing the unnamed, afraid to enter, afraid to be overwhelmed by my own suffering. Yet all that has been locked away surprisingly impacts all that has not. I can no longer live this way, those works once sweeter turning bitter, as the closed hall unceremoniously turns all others frigid. One cannot admire a work while struggling to stay warm. As the curator of the exhibit, I move them around, the works reorganized by lessons learned. Moments of breakthrough and triumph are regularly followed by a new, occasionally difficult lesson. When the works are stripped of pain and suffering, of joy and blissfulness, what remains is what has made these masterpieces. A life lived to where every moment counts, to where every moment has its place, for grace has touched them all. Nice ending. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like going through this process with Carlos has helped you to live so that every moment counts? Yeah, I think it's not only living so that every moment counts. It's more about living in every moment. Right. I think, I think you know, we have the option of... of you know, of being, I don't want to say the word slave because it seems like such the wrong word, but in, in restraints to ourselves. I mean, I was thinking about if the meaning of the word of your radio show shift happens. And I went, okay, so what kind of shift has actually happened for me? And I think, you know, at the beginning of the course, because the first year is all about reconnection, and it's the first basically six years of your life, and how all our neural pathways have been anchored and crystallized. And so we go through a process where you have the opportunity to change those neural pathways so that you can change behaviors and actions. But that comes with a lot of self-exploration and, and, and self-realization. And I think initially it was the biggest fear was you come to the edge of who you know yourself to be, and then you have no choice. You either choose to stay that way for the rest of your life or you somehow from inside of you muster up the courage to step over that, that barrier. And then you realize that actually that wasn't the boundary of who you were. And so I think the coolest thing in the process is that, yeah, it's like you recognize that those boundaries are self-imposed, but then at some point you just come to a place where Actually, all of the things that you perceive aren't even remotely close to reality. Mm-hmm. And, and do we know what reality is? Yeah, I mean, I can only say what experiences I have. And that really, you know, that doesn't mean a lot. But what, what I have can say for myself is that really I'm living from a place where, yeah, I get to be more in the moment, more present for who I am and the people that are around me. And I also, my baseline is just happier. You sound happier to be, I mean, we've known you for a few years. Um, yeah, I guess we met you when you were first starting with Ontogony, hey? Yeah. You were originally really miserable. Just, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Thanks but, for sharing, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for sharing. 
<laughs> but no, it's it's obvious that I mean you're sounding more grounded, and yeah, you've integrated, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always a lot to integrate. You all exactly, and then when you become aware of those layers that you weren't familiar with before, it opens up a whole other can of worms, right? More to dig into. Yeah, more to dig into. And, and too, I think the recognition that, you know, it's not over with just one expansion. Yeah. Right? It's it's a continual process. And, and yeah, I mean, you don't know where the path is going to take you and how far down the rabbit hole you're going to go. And, you know, sometimes you... Like, I think one of the other big things for me was to change my identity around being being my suffering. Because as though somehow my suffering was this permission to exist. This permission, you know, it's like I've had sort of a really interesting life um, coming from a Dukeborg community. And I think, it, you know, deep down there was, there was this thing like I was, you know, I am who I am, or I, I, because of all these things that happened to me, and I, ha- I really, I needed to just let go of, of that identity because it was so limiting in, in the aspect of, you know, how do, you, how do you talk about yourself without talking about your suffering? Well, you talk about the magic that you do, the things that bring joy to you, the things that are. Yeah. That, ways that you connect with people but my framework I think before really was coming from that place of like yeah I had a really difficult life and so I'm a trooper not even so much a victim but it's more like it gives me permission to do certain things or be a certain way Mm -hmm. what the suffering gave you permission the suffering yeah, yeah it was well, I don't want to say the suffering. I want to say identifying with suffering as right. a whole. Right, right. Kind of like when I was faced with the opportunity of actually existing without suffering, I actually almost didn't know what to do with myself. Like, who would I be? Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I don't actually remember ever talking to you about your past. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So hey, I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm not even aware of, of of how you know what form that suffering took. I knew that you grew up in a Dukabor community, but other than that, I really had no idea what your past was, and it didn't seem to be a part of our relationship at all. Well, and it, I guess maybe the reason why we didn't discuss it is because you didn't seem like you needed to. Yeah, you needed to. You'd already dealt with it, or had already gained perspective, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think when we met, I definitely was at the, you know, at a different place in my life and where, yeah, I did have a different perspective. And I think it was more an internal process as opposed to an external process that was happening for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed um, the fact that you were so open and willing to just uh, be in the moment and... Uh, uh, kind of go with it like I mean we met and I think the first thing I did was uh, drag you off to a bonfire with a bunch of people you didn't know and then you ended up um, but she jumped in with both feet yeah 
Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, we got to cook together. I always love cooking. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you have a special talent with spices. I love spices. Spices and plants, they kind of, they're a really cool thing. So you are currently launching into your own little uh, business doing... Not little. It's going to be a mega corporation that goes around the globe, right? (laughs) That's not open. I don't know if that's in the cards. I don't think that's the way I was seeing it, but hey, who knows what's going to unfold. We have to dream big. Yes, we do. But we have to dream new ways of being in the world. Yeah, exactly. Expressing ourselves, that's for certain. Yeah. Speaking of, you do dream therapy, and I was curious about that. What, What does that look like? Well, it really depends on the dreamer. Um, but for the most part, I, I really love dream therapy because it's actually, it's such a easy way to get into the nitty gritty of who we are. I mean, you know, it's considered, the dreams are considered the doorway to the unconscious. And so with dreams, what's really great is in a dream, we can see all of the fragmented parts of who we are. So the parts that we're either rejecting or we don't want to see the shadow Um, things that we don't want to address but have impact in our life, kind of like in my my spoken word piece, that room that gets all the yucky stuff in it but still affects everything else. Mm -hmm. So dreams, dreams kind of act like that. And so when you do dream therapy, essentially the more creative, more artistic, more theatrical the individual can allow themselves to be, the more that they get out of a dream. So, for example, if, if the dreamer tells the dream, and then after they tell the dream, they actually go through and they become each element of the dream. And those elements, they're all fragments of who we are. So then it's kind of like you're, you're looking for what's the theme of the dream and, and what do all of the elements want to accomplish. So usually there's a conflict. It's kind of like a little mini conflict in the dream or something that has some ambiguity. Um, and, then, and then the dream, can we can move the dream forward past where the dreamer had the dream and, and actually create a resolution because dreams are always just an attempt to deal with things that are going on in our everyday life with all of our material, all the unconscious hidden stuff that we're not really conscious of. Okay. So, okay, I've heard just in my research that there's a difference between a regular dream and a vivid dream. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I'm, I've been a dreamer all my life, so it really depends on the individual. Yeah, there are definitely layers of the dream. So there's the personal layer, there's the layer of, of information for the family, and then there's, there's more an archetypical layer that kind of relates to, you know, things happening on our planet. And so you can read the dream in all those different ways. There's also, of course, probably, Jeff, you have experience with this, the prophetic style yeah. type of dream. And so, I mean, you know, it takes, it takes time to, to explore in yourself to learn all of those different layers. But, but the symbolic mind, like the oniric mind that creates the symbology, really is access for us to have power in our lives around, around how we deal with things. It really, 
it's pretty magical. Yeah, I don't, yeah. So do you think it's really beneficial to, like, keep a dream journal and really try to become more conscious of what's happening in your dream? Yeah, I mean, having a dream journal would probably be the first step, right? Because that's just sort of the remembering aspects of a dream. But then really starting to work the symbology of the dream is quite amazing because once the unconscious recognizes that you're actually listening, Mm -hmm. um, then it starts to offer some pretty amazing solutions that perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't come otherwise because most of the time we don't really pay attention to our dreams in that kind of way. I remember I did keep a dream journal for a while and I noticed, well, I I asked myself, either I am suddenly getting a lot more information in my dreams or I I was always getting it and I didn't notice. But I found that my dreams got more and more interesting, put it that way. Yeah, well, as we listen to them, then they have the opportunity to change and evolve and grow. Otherwise, it's kind of like... You know, it's like trying to beat down the door so you throw a pebble to try to get the attention. Then you throw, you know, a couple more stones. Then you, like, throw a rock at it and hope that, you know, but they're all kind of in the same context. Right. Right? So once you actually open the door, then you don't need pebbles or rocks anymore. Then you can actually start start working with them and, and let the symbology really come to life. And then it really, it's like the magic of daily life is really phenomenal because then you start to see amazing things happening every day. I mean, not just synchronicities, but really you start to see how, you know, how karma interacts, how people come together because they have these, this karmic resonance and the, the big issues that they're trying to collectively resolve. It's, it's quite fascinating. World, the world just becomes so much more magical. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I need to take a brief musical break, and I think you'll appreciate <laughs> this particular track, but stay on the line, okay? He wants to Because we want to keep this. Into the okay. Mystic. Nope, I want to play oh, some one. Super Tramp. We'll oh. be right back. Anyway, you're listening to Shift Happens, the spoken word, actually the Empower Hour with Jeff and Anna. And we're speaking with Sada. And I just had to play this because this song was playing in the back of my head when you were talking about dreaming that was a great song uh-huh i think i did too much lds in the 60s or something <laughs> he's very good at, at coming up with these song associations while mm-hmm. we're mid-conversation mm-hmm. it helps to be a uh, high definition add that's fantastic mm-hmm. <laughs> so sada what other kinds of things do you do with people oh, well i mean mostly Mostly I'm, I'm, I'm just doing therapy with people, so people show up with a lot of different reasons. I, I enjoy, in particular, working with artists. That's really a lot of fun. Not to say that I don't enjoy working with other people, but artists are really great because they're always pushing their boundaries, so it's not like you have to encourage them too much to do that part. Um, and, and a therapy session really just depends on where the person's at and what it is that they want to address in the moment. I mean... I, you know, we got a really large toolbox of tools with um, the studying that we did. And then, you know, I'm lucky enough to, to have just a natural intuitive capacity that, that I get to add to the mix. So that's always fun. And I'm also starting to collaborate with um, 
one of my classmates, Cindy, it's so much fun. So she and I are doing um, group dream therapy workshops. Okay. That's mm-hmm. got to be interesting. And if like a collective dream or just individual dreams and how they, they interface with each other. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, so, well, it works kind of in the same way. It's, yes, collective and, yes, individual, because we have that, those layers in a dream. So you can activate them all in one process. So it could be one person's dream, so they'll tell the dream. And then they'll go through um, getting the deeper meanings, acting out the deeper meanings of the symbology. But all of the people that are in the room become part of the dream. So whether they're the witnesses in the dream or whether, whether you know, parts become active, because the person that's telling the dream can use any of the people in the room to, to work out some of those aspects. Hmm. Very interesting. It is so interesting. It's so much fun. You know, one of the things that's really amazed me about you is that you, you've gone through life um, in a, you know, not sort of tied to a particular job or an identity or whatever, just kind of letting your interests take you to different places and different, I mean, I remember you were doing the soundscapes for a while. Do you still do that? Yeah, actually, that's interesting because one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years is, is um, because, I, you know, woodworking is, was always my fallback kind of creative outlet. And um, after my father passed away, we sold the family house, which meant that I don't have access to a woodworking shop anymore. And so I've had to really look for other creative outlets. So the soundscape part was the beginning of, of that. And I really enjoy that. Um, but I'm at the place where, yeah, I either invest in equipment or I spend a lot more time up at SFU, which at the moment isn't, isn't something I'm really interested in doing. But I am, I am in the place right now where I'm exploring what does my creative side really look like? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, a part of it is, is yeah, it's the fun that we, we get to work with people and see moments of aha um, in people's faces, which is really amazing and super rewarding. And then the other part is just, yeah, my own personal exploration of myself. And and really the gift that we got with, with the course that we took with Carlos is that, you know, we're, we're one of the first cohorts going through. There's, there's more people coming behind us, which is fantastic. But we actually are there to support each other, too. So we're all still doing our regular, you know, our own therapy and our own growth process. So it's kind of like we ended up with a support system that you know, you initially weren't expecting. Right. You know, the thing that strikes me about you is that you've always been willing to just kind of leap into the void a little bit. Um, was that like? a conscious choice to, to challenge fears or you just didn't feel them or, or, or like. And did it maybe come out of your experience being a Dukabor? Does it go back to an earlier time? Well, definitely my character, you know, goes back to an earlier time. That's for certain. Um, yeah, that's a hard question to answer because yes, in a lot of ways, it does come out of my experience being a Dukovar. I mean, I, 
I, you know, I grew up in a in the Sons of Freedom Dukovar community, so activism was like you know something that I saw every day. Um, and and yeah, and so I made choices around how I wanted to be because of that. And and it's like, yeah, I mean, fear. Did I? Yeah, did I have fear? Yeah, I mean, I still fear is a big thing. I mean, it's a big driver, I think, for people in general. And I just happened to have, you know, a little bit of courage that I, instead of beating around the bush, I, I'm not very good at beating around the bush. <laughs> I'm pretty straightforward, which sometimes people don't appreciate. Yeah, we know um, that feeling. Yeah. It, it gets us into trouble quite a bit. Yeah, so I, you know, it's like if I if I notice that there's a part that I'm afraid of, then I, that's probably the first place I'm going to be standing in front of. Mm, yeah, and I mean that does drive growth. Feel the fear and and do it and anyway. Do it anyway. Well, I mean that's the thing. I mean we're human, and so we are going to be subjected to fear because that's just the nature of the beast being here, right? It's just what do you do in the face of that fear? Do you let it cripple you, or do you use it as something to push against and become more of what you want to be? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, more of what you can imagine yourself to be, but then imagine that actually you can be more than you can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, it's, I don't know. I mean, I had a really strange experience this last year, kind of the final year of my my therapy class. And, um, you know, one of them is I all of a sudden got this urge to be swimming. And because I live right next to the ocean, I, I was like, well, I no point in looking at it. I may as well just go swim. But I decided this in November. Uh, that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I realized that I wanted to learn how to surf, but I'm afraid of deep water. So I figured, well, I better, I better spend some time in the ocean to see if I, can, if I can deal with this. So I started swimming. I got myself a wetsuit, and I started swimming. But the other thing that was interesting is that in class, we actually were working. I mean, we, work at a, we were working at a lot of different levels. So the symbolic, and then you're working in... You know, is it past life? Is it not? I mean, there's a whole other, that's a whole other area. But one of the things that happened to me in class is whenever I get into this really trauma mode, I would yell, I just want to go home, right? And of course, you know, I'm the big joke in class where everybody's like, oh, Sada, E.T., phone home, right? <laughs> um, so everybody jokes about, you know, alien friends and all of that kind of thing. But what happened was, in this particular session, my personal session, is that, that you know, we we're kind of following the thread, and all of a sudden, I lost all sensory input. Like, I could not, I literally was totally deaf. Like, I couldn't hear anything. So the person that was leading me through the process, I knew was speaking to me, because I can see, and yet I couldn't hear anything. So I had a little bit of panic about not being able to hear, and so I'm trying to read words, and then I finally get, okay, just tell them where I am. So I really, I could hardly describe where I was, other than in water, in water. Those are the only words that were coming out. And so in the end, the experience for me was more of, a, of, of kind of 
what could be called a soul retrieval, where where I had a traumatic event, you know, whether it's a symbolic traumatic event that happened for real or just symbolic in my mind, and or whether it was a past life experience. I mean, that's a whole other cup of tea, but whatever it was, this event where I died while my mother was pregnant, drowning. And so that particular event created this need inside of me to, to fracture parts of myself and try put parts of my soul into the water. And so it's ironic that, you know, I spend three or four months trying to swim in icy cold water here in Vancouver. And yet then, you know, a couple months later, this whole experience of, of collecting parts of myself that were submerged in water was just this magical moment for me. And it was, it was culminated by, by after it all happened, like the only thing I could do is, you know, when you're a kid and you're laughing so hard, but you, you don't know if you're going to cry or if you're laughing and you're just so full of emotions, there's no way for it to come out. Mm-hmm. So I'm just patting myself going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And the only thing that I could say is like, I'm home. And of course, you know, my class all laughed because the whole idea of me trying to get home for two and a half years was really quite fascinating. Well, good for you for sharing your your underbelly, sharing your real self in a class setting. I mean, they're, you know, giving you a hard time, but you're being your truly authentic self. And that's sometimes really scary to do, especially when you think and believe in terms that are different than the status quo. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that group is really, they're a dynamic group of people. They're mm-hmm. all fascinating. They all really, you know, and we, I think, uh, over the couple of years, because we learned a lot about each other, we really have a lot of care and compassion for each other that really, I think, yeah, I mean, those kinds of things, they, they don't go away. You know, mm-hmm. that, that level of love and connection. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't, we don't speak very often, you know, you, you guys and, and me, but it, there's enough love and care there that the few times that we do connect, you know, every year, really, I think they really are great times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and that's what was kind of going through my head when we announced you as a good friend of ours. Well, I'm thinking after I said that, well, you're not really a good friend because, well, you're a good <laughs> friend, but we don't talk very much. And m- most often, you're good friends you touch base with on a weekly basis or whatever it is because you're you're entwined in each other's lives. But for us, we're entwined, but it doesn't take maintenance right like we can touch base every six months or every year and it's just like we left off in the previous conversation well i remember when we first met i just i felt an instant connection with you yeah and and, uh i i don't you know that's not a very common thing and i don't even normally communicate it when it happens but i just felt comfortable enough with you to just sit down and start talking and uh and you never questioned it you know it wasn't like well i don't know you why are you <laughs> well and the cool thing too and i mean we've we've had friends tell us that we should 
tell our story as far as our South American trip because we basically lived 10 years in a six-month period of time. It was a really intense time. And anyway, we met someone. He became our best friend, Felipe. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. When, when we sat down and talked to Sada for the first time, we started saying, well, yeah, we did the South American thing, blah, blah, blah. And then it came out in the discussion that you knew our good friend Felipe. And it's like, well, hey, we have to be family now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, what, that, what that are that the chances, it. right? Yeah. That was, uh, we met a man in Ecuador who was an American, and we came back to the Kootenays and met a woman who knew the same man. Yeah. And and really had a close connection to him. I mean, uh, Felipe and, and I were instant brothers. It's like he was the brother I never had. And unfortunately, we went our separate ways. We came back to the quote-unquote civilized world. He stayed there, and we ended up losing touch. I, I tried looking him up online via social media, et cetera, et cetera, but so far I haven't been able to connect with him. And if you're listening out there in radio land or on the Internet, Felipe, I love you, buddy. I miss you. Yeah. You know he's going to be calling in a few weeks, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, we only hope so. So, okay, yeah. we've only got a few minutes left, but what I'd like to do is ask you, how do people get a hold of you? Obviously, you're living in Vancouver, and so you're no longer a Kootenaiite, but you're a Kootenaiite by heart and soul. I'm sure you will not forget the place, even though you're way far away. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Okay, so there's a couple ways people can get a hold of me. I'm in the Kootenays regularly. I, you know, I come to visit family and I do a few things there. Um, You're involved so, with Shambhala too, correct? Yeah, I'm, I, I do things for them on occasion. Yeah. Uh, so the best thing to do, I mean, you can send me an email and, or you can connect um, with me through my website, which is kin, K-I-N, dash, T-O, dash, K-I-N, dot C-A. So kin to kin, dot C-A. Um, or, yeah, you know, give me a call. Phone me up. What I will do is uh, create a page for this interview on our website, shifthappens.media, and I will include Sada's contact information mm -hmm. there. So... And also, if people are more curious about Ontogony, uh, how do they find out about that? Yeah, they can go online and Google Ontogony, I, I believe it's .com, um, and it's spelled O-N-T-O-G-O-N-Y. That sounds like a children's song. Yeah. O-N-T, oh, sorry. I won't sing that. Okay, no. So they can go there, and, and Carlos is doing a ton of workshops. I mean, talk about, like, high performance and, mm -hmm. and putting everything out that he knows, which is really such a huge blessing. So I highly recommend, if, any, if you have the courage to face yourself, then um, do that. And if you need a lighter touch, then you can come see me or any of my classmates. Um, you and you use a smaller baseball bat? Is that the, <laughs> what is, the tool? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yes. 
All yes, right. we throw we throw pebbles. <laughs> what is Carlos's lineage? What's the sort of tradition he comes from? Um, he would probably call himself more of a hacker um, than a specific tradition. He has a few affinities that he has, um, but uh, he he has a PhD in psychology and transpersonal psychology, and he actually in Mexico started um, the. Uh, a program at the University for Paranormal Phenomena. So he, he's, he's well established. I mean, we don't know him very well here in Canada, but, you know, in, in Europe and in, in South America, really, he, he has classes with hundreds and hundreds of people. And we're just so lucky that we get him on such an intimate basis because we can really ask a lot of personal questions where often that's not an opportunity. Right. Have you ever asked him to go surfing with you? I haven't asked, but I've implied, and he's just not into cold water. Okay. That's it. Tell, tell him he needs to develop more faith in cold yeah. water. Yeah. I think he'd just say it was a preference. Ah, there but, you go. Yeah, so if people want to get a hold of me, if people are looking for personal sessions or group sessions when I'm in the Kootenays, I'm happy to provide those. Okay. Um, or or in Vancouver, so I'm I am in the Kootenays quite often, so I I'm I'm happy to share wherever I can. Well, when you're in the Kootenays the next time, you should let us know, and maybe we'll do a live session in the studio where the telephone quality. Well, we won't have a telephone involved, and it'll be much gooder. Oh. Gooder's a word, by the way. Well, a live session is fine, but mm-hmm. it's like the question. Is could you be open enough to go all the way? Hey, I've he's, done it many times pretty. on our show. <laughs> oh I've God. even I've cried like a little baby at times too. Well, I'm going to be there on the 18th through the Christmas holidays. Oh, well, really? Look us up when you get into town. Okay. Yeah, okay. we're we're actually doing a couple of longer special Christmas shows. Yeah, we so. could maybe do some banter around the mic and play some tunage together. And that's what I wanted to put out is we're, we're going to do our show. Um, it's going to be kind of a hodgepodge, not separating everything out. But anyway, starting next week, so on December the 19th, we're going to do a three-hour show at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're going to do the very same thing the following week. And then two very special evenings on December the 24th, so Christmas Eve, we're going to be going from 7 o'clock until 1 o'clock in the morning. And then doing the same thing for New Year's. New Year's. So we wanted to celebrate. We want as many people to be tuned in and partying together and celebrating the lives that we have and just enjoying the time. So anyway, uh, we have to bring this to a close but what I want to do, Sada, is if you haven't heard this song before, I highly recommend you check it out. It's by a band called Queensryche, and the name of the tune is Silent Lucidity, and you'll know exactly why I'm playing this as our, well, our extra for today's show. So thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and inviting me and letting me share all those little funny parts of myself. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll allow you to do it again. Thanks. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.